You're listening to the Take Your Shop podcast, a podcast for wedding photographers and videographers looking to grow and scale their business. I'm your host, Hallie Heather, and my goal is for you to walk away feeling empowered and inspired as you continue to build a business that you're passionate about and that serves both you and your clients well. So whether you're operating as a side hustle or you're looking for tips and tricks on how to improve and scale your business, you, my friend, are in the right place. You don't have to figure it all out on your own, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Take Your Shot podcast. You guys, today we've got an amazing guest. Her name is Jen Stein from Jennifer Kamen Photography. She is a certified financial planner who's gone full-time with photography and she's got so much to share with us today. We're going to be talking all about retirement because who doesn't want to retire, right? <laughs> Let's go. So do you want to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Of course. Thank you so much, Hallie, for having me on. It's such an honor to be here. My name is Jen. I am, like Hallie mentioned, I'm a certified financial planner and now a full-time wedding and family photographer here in Minneapolis. But my background is that I went to college and I studied finance. I got my bachelor's in it. And right away, I jumped into wealth management. I always had this dream of climbing the corporate ladder and like having my own wealth management company. So I got my licenses and then I actually went to the largest wealth manager in the world Worked there, got some really good experience doing financial planning and investment management. And then I went to an independent and I got my CFP. And again, doing a lot of financial planning, some marketing, things like that, all while building, building my photography business. And then once I had my baby in December of 2022, I had to reevaluate my life. I really wanted to be present. I wanted to be home with her more than two hours a night. So I decided to jump into full-time photography. And now that's what I do. I love it. I love it so much. And just as someone who like knows you, not only from the photography industry, but as someone who has gotten to know you, just we're both local. We're both from Minneapolis area. And it's just been so fun to watch you grow and just like step into this full on. Like I just see your passion and I see how much you really care about your clients and your client experience and everything. And like, you're not someone who just does something for the sake of doing it. Like when you do something, you're all in. And that's been really fun to watch. And what I'm really excited to talk about today is just like, marrying the two passions that you have that you're clearly gifted at of both the finance side of things as well as photography and just really empowering other creatives today through this conversation of planning for retirement because that's a huge topic because I know so many people get really overwhelmed with that myself included and I know that you have a lot to say on it but before we dive into just the specifics of going into retirement do you mind sharing just a little bit of a, a brush on investing 101 and just things that people should be aware of before obviously jumping into the nitty gritty of retirement? Absolutely. So I think what a lot of creatives, at least that I've chatted with, have told me is that finances stress them out and they don't know where to begin. And so they just don't do it. They just kick it down the road and hope that they figure it out later. But when it comes to investing, one of the biggest kind of misconceptions is that you can start later down the road and you just contribute a little bit more when you're making more money and you'll catch up. And there's something called compound interest which is basically that the money that you invest is growing and then that money that grows is still invested and that's growing. And so it's compounding on each other. And Albert Einstein actually calls it the eighth wonder of the world because it's so powerful. So really investing 101 really needs to start with invest early and often. And so a few things that you want to consider when you're thinking about investing is thinking about your goals. And that's going to give you um, a good understanding of how long that investment strategy is going to be. So I'm 30, for example, when I'm thinking about my retirement account, that's 30 plus years down the line. But my family and I are hoping to grow in the future and we need a bigger house. And so we're hoping to buy a house in about a year. 
So that investment strategy would be much different than my retirement investment strategy. So you want to think about the different goals that you have. And then you also want to think about within those goals, where it would make the most sense to invest. So there's brokerage and taxable accounts, which are accounts where you can invest your money and you can pull it out at any time. You just pay tax on the growth. There are retirement accounts, which you invest your money and you don't take it out typically until you're 59 and a half or older. Otherwise, you're going to pay a penalty. And then there's different tax strategies with that as well. So knowing what goal you're planning for is going to help you determine what kinds of accounts that you should have. Most people have both, right? They have their retirement accounts, but they also have brokerage or taxable accounts where they're investing for whatever life's needs are, whether that's house planning, just having more, just having your money grow for you, paying for child's education or things like that. Or even a lot of my clients that I worked with would have accounts for their children's weddings one day because that's a big expense. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then last but not least, considering the types of investments. So a few things that are really important is to be diversified. Most people accomplish that goal by investing in mutual funds and ETFs rather than directly into stocks and bonds. So mutual funds and ETFs. ETFs are uh, exchange-traded funds. Those are bundles with a bunch of different stocks and bonds invested in them. So one mutual fund might have 100 or more different companies invested in it. And then on this side is just a stock and a bond. And so you can have one stock in one account, and a different account you can have one mutual fund. And this mutual fund might be a 100 times more diversified than this stock. So to put that into example, let's say you own Target stock in one account, and then in another account, you own just large cap U.S. companies. So 100% stock-based, but a lot less risky because if Target is in this account and it drops to zero, let's say, I don't know why, but something happens and Target goes out of business, they drop to zero, all of the other companies in the mutual funds and the ETFs hopefully won't be as affected and will keep the account up. Whereas if you just own a thousand shares of Target and they drop to zero, now you're at zero in this account. So when we talk about diversification, for most people, we're really looking at mutual funds and ETFs, and then we're aligning that with their goals, right? So if they're on the riskier side and they're comfortable with a lot of equities and they want to be invested in U.S. companies, we might find an index fund, SPY is is one that's very popular, and it just tracks the S&P index. And typically within a portfolio, we'll see like 15 or 20 different funds that all have different goals and perform in different environments. That way, no matter what the market's doing, hopefully some of them are holding up the account if others aren't. And then when some of them are, when the market's going really well, hopefully they're capturing as much growth as we can. And then also, again, thinking about if it's going to be a long-term investment or a short-term investment. And then depending on your age and the amount of risk that you're willing to take on, you want to get the biggest return for the smallest amount of risk that you're comfortable with, right? So if I'm 30 years old and I'm planning for my retirement, and let's say I'm going to retire at 65, hopefully, (laughs) uh, that's 35 years down the line. So for me, I feel more comfortable with a riskier allocation, maybe all in stocks or equities um, or 90% equities rather than somebody who's 55 and they're going to retire next year. Because the reality is that markets go in cycles and that typically takes about eight years. So if you are thinking about investing for retirement and you're on the younger side, you've got lots of time to ride out those waves. But if you're going to retire five years from now, you don't want to have to pull your money out at the bottom or whatever your goal may be. So that's investing 101. 
Oh, that's such a good refresher. And I think we can really just dive into just maybe setting yourself up for retiring now that we kind of have a baseline of investing and just how to think of it. So when someone is looking at retirement, I know like typically when you work for an employer, they're like investing in in a 401k and you've got that set up for you. But when you're running your own business, that looks a lot different. And I think that for self-employees, like trying to make sure that you're doing that isn't always even at the forefront of your mind because you're also balancing your books. You're also getting your business. A lot of people just focus on the revenue and like even the expenses can get out of hand. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much that goes into this side of the business that Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to put retirement on the back burner. So I'm also 30 and this has been a topic where I'm like, man, I want to have a better understanding of this. So myself included, I think there's a lot to learn. So do you mind just getting started with retirement and kind of like how to think about it and maybe like the different types of ways and strategies you can start implementing? Absolutely. So I think when we're starting out, like you mentioned, this is going to be more focused on self-employed individuals. When you're working for an employer, like you said, typically a 401k or a 403b and your employer is doing some sort of contribution or match in there. When we're self-employed, we just don't have that, right? But I don't think that that necessarily puts us at a disadvantage because When you're working for somebody, you typically, unless you're in a sales or commissioned role or really high executive, you typically have a capped salary and you're not getting promotion after promotion. Maybe like every year you get a little bump here and there, you get a bigger bump, but you have a capped salary and your employer is probably going to match 3%, right? Whereas when you're self-employed, hopefully after a few years, I think we've all felt the first few years are a little tough, but hopefully after a few years, as your business gets going, you are in a lot more control of the income that you're earning. So what you want to think about is how much income do you need to earn so that you can also, besides living life and all of your expenses, you can also comfortably fund your retirement account. And for everybody, that's going to look different. Some people are going to say, I'm just going to open up a traditional or a Roth IRA, which is just an individual retirement account. We can all open one. And they're just, the two are taxed differently. And I'm just going to fund my $7,000 for now. And then down the road, maybe I'll do something else. Whereas if you want to fund more into your retirement accounts, three retirement accounts for self-employed individuals are the solo 401k, which is just for an employer who only works for themselves, has no team. The only exception is that your spouse can also be a part of the plan, but that's just for one, like a individual own business, a simple IRA. Those are a little bit more convoluted. We're really going to focus on what's called Simplified Employee Pension Individual Retirement Account. We just call it SEP IRA. SEP IRAs are really wonderful because not only can you contribute a significant amount of money to them if you want to and if you're able to, they're also really easy to set up and the administration costs are very low. So those are two important parts of the SEP IRA. So when we talk about setting one up, Uh, Typically, you can, if you're working with a financial advisor, you can set one up directly through them. If you're not working with a financial advisor and you're not there yet, places that you can look for to set them up are big brokerages. So think Vanguard, BlackRock, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, all those. I don't know if eMoney may or may not have one. (laughs) I'm not sure. But all those big brokerages are going to offer some sort of solution for entrepreneurs uh, to be able to set up their SEP IRAs. Once you set up a SEP IRA, So an important thing to know about them is the employer is the only one that contributes. So if you have a team of employees, they don't contribute to their own retirement account. But as the employer, you can contribute, and this is 2024 numbers, up to 25% of your total compensation, as long as that is less than $69,000. So whichever is less. 
And then the only other thing that you really need to be mindful of when you set up a SEP IRA is that whatever you contribute to yourself, you have to contribute to everyone else who is an employee of your firm. So Hallie, I know you and Luke are, you jointly own Lully. And so both of you would have a SEP IRA. And if you contribute 10% to yours, Luke has to contribute 10% to his, or Lully has to contribute 10% to each of your SEP IRAs, if that makes sense. Totally. So if you have W-2 individuals, this could get a little pricey. But if you don't, and you're either a single member LLC like I am, or maybe you're a partnership with a spouse where at the end of the day, even though the accounts are in separate names, they all contribute to the household income. This makes a lot of sense. Cool. Cool. I do want to go back a little bit and get some clarification. So like you're saying like single owned, like, does it matter then if you're LLC or S corp or does it matter like how you're filed as a business? Is it most, mostly just employee count? Uh, it's employee count. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter how you're filed, but it there. So contributions are tax deductible to the business. And depending on the ownership type, you would want to work with your CPA to make sure that you're accounting for them correctly, okay. but it doesn't matter how the business is formed. Cool. Good to know. And if anyone's curious about the different types of business structures and everything, I had an interview a couple weeks ago with Drake Friesen. You can take a look at that. Uh, he talks through all about taxes, setting up your business and all of that. So if you're confused on what I just said, go back, listen to that episode. It'll make a little bit more sense. But anyway, okay, cool. So to continue this on, I know you were talking about like working with big, you can set this up yourself or work with someone. If someone was going to do it themselves and looking at like a brokerage to do it through, is there anything they should like questions they should ask, things they should look for? Like, I know you mentioned that the fees are generally pretty low, but are there any things that are like, ah, these are red flags or this is a better option? Yeah. So I think that the main thing that you want to look for and the big brokerages that I named off are going to offer this. But if you're working with a smaller firm or a smaller advisor, so all the money that you are contributing to your separate is going to be invested, right? Because that's the whole goal is for it to grow, for that interest to compound and for your money to really work for you. The thing that you want to be sure of is that you are able to invest in pretty much any security under the sun that you want to. So a few of the smaller firms will have proprietary investments. So I don't want to name one off, but if we were to say like XYZ Wealth Management and they're a small company, they don't work for, they don't clear through a big brokerage. They would only be able to sell you XYZ stock A, XYZ stock B or mutual fund A or mutual fund B. And you really want to have the ability to invest in anything. So that's like another point of investing is that when we talk about being diversified, we want to be diversified, not only within the mutual funds that we have, the group of stocks, the group of bonds, but we also want to be diversified in all different kinds of companies, right? We want to be diversified in large U.S. companies as well as large international companies and then mid-sized and small. And then there's different sectors like healthcare and financials and materials and all these types of things. That way, if one area were to not perform as well in the market or something were to happen, the other areas would hopefully hold up your investment a little bit more, if that makes sense. Totally. I think it does. And I think for people who maybe get overwhelmed with like even where to put their money, I know for me, <laughs> I've had money sit in my account. It's like, it's in my investment account, but I actually like don't even know where to put it. And I know there's a difference, but, and I know there are, there are places where you can have someone invest it for you, or you can do it yourself. And I know that both can have their pros and cons and some of them have more fees than others. I know we're talking a little bit more about like the steps, but just generally general investing now, I want to take it back to that for someone who's wondering what to look for. Like what's the difference between having someone manage your funds or not, or just having someone help with planning? Like what are the types of services out there that they could be utilizing to help them get this set up or even have it managed for them? Absolutely. So I think 
it's a broad spectrum of services. So you can go from, like we mentioned, you are managing this yourself. Typically the recommendation here is to only do it when you're getting on your feet, when you're getting started, when you're accumulating assets. Once you have a significant amount of assets that are investable, you probably want to start working with a professional. Within that, there's a broker and then there's an, like a financial planner, advisor, holistic person that's going to do it. So what a broker does is they literally take your money and they can just trade stocks and bonds. They typically have to call you every time and ask you if it's okay to do this. And they charge a fee per transaction. My recommendation is not to go this route just because a lot of the times at the end of the year, let's say they've said for this fee, I'll do 20 transactions for you. And they've only done 15 at the end of the year and you you're doing well, but the broker wants to charge that fee for the 20 transactions. They might be inclined to do more. They shouldn't ethically, but it happens. So my recommendation is when you do decide that it's time to work with a professional to find a financial advisor in your area that does assets under management. So they charge you a percentage that you agree upon, and then they manage all of your assets under their discretion. So they don't have to call you every single time. You can have an agreement with them that they will, if that's something that you want and that they're willing to do, but it's not a requirement. And it's just something where you get a statement in the mail at the end of every month, and they are managing your assets under their discretion. And you're really both, both have the same goal in mind, right? Because they charge a percentage of the assets under management. So is, when your account goes up, their fee goes up by product. <laughs> so really both sides win when the account grows. And that's a good strategy to have. Yeah. And I think like you were talking through like earlier on, it makes sense to maybe not do that. At what point would it as you grow, as you grow, do you mind defining that a little bit more? Like at what point, or is there a certain benchmark where it might make yeah. more sense for someone to do that? So in my experience, I've worked at four different firms, both big and small, and everyone's going to tell you a different number that you ask them. In my personal experience, from what I've seen is typically when there's about $250,000 in investable assets, that's when you can work with a professional and they are managing your assets. They're not outsourcing it to anyone and the fees aren't as high. Hmm. Now these people advisors are wonderful, but they can charge whatever they want. And so it's okay to interview four or five and to see who you are going to get the most bang out of your buck with, what they do, what kind of investments that they're going to put your money into if they offer financial planning within that fee, which most of them do, but some don't. And so again, somebody will tell me I'm wrong and that they'll invest your money with $50,000 and that's great. But in my experience, a lot of time that is outsourced. And so when you could be paying maybe a 1% or one and a half, percent fee, you might be paying 3% instead because they're outsourcing your $50,000 to somebody else and they have to pay that fee. So it depends, but in my experience, about 250,000 is a safe bet. Cool. That is so good to know. And I'm sure a lot of people are like at that point right now, right? We're all there. <laughs> I mean, there might be, but, but no, for real, I think. I think yeah. as a 30 year old, it sounds daunting, but when you think about like how much money you need in retirement and things like that, the closer you get, the more and more assets you're going to have. And the sooner you invest, the more they're going to grow. And so as a 30-year-old, 250,000 investable assets is like, whoa, that's a lot of money. But I think as we progress through life and our businesses, it's actually a bit more achievable than it sounds. Totally. And I think for when people are planning for retirement, I think there's a lot of thoughts. And I think we talked about it earlier. It's like the sooner you start, the better. Would you say that there's any point in which someone shouldn't do it? Like, is it more, does it make more sense to pay off your student debt first or save for a house first? Or do you think it makes sense to just truly jump in and just get into it right away? So I think that if you have a lot of high interest, specifically credit card debt, 
it might make sense to pay that down first because it is so you're paying such a large penalty every single month for not paying that off. But typically when you look at mortgages, I mean, I know that rates are around six and a half right now, or even student loans where rates might be seven to 10%. It would make sense to just continue to make the payments that you can on those, but also be investing for retirement because really that compound interest is so strong and you really cannot, it's really difficult to make it up down the road. And I've seen examples, I can't rattle one off the top of my head, but it's like, would you rather have a penny a day that doubles every day or a hundred thousand dollars right now or something like that? And the answer is a penny a day because you're going to be a millionaire so much sooner. So I think that if you've got really high interest rate debt, specifically, most commonly in credit cards, you might want to work on paying that down first, but otherwise I would get started with retirement. Even if you're contributing a hundred dollars a month, just get into the habit of contributing that way, as you make more and more money, it's going to become easier and you don't have to worry about setting it up. It's already there. You just like keep putting the money in. Totally. And I think if you start small, it won't feel like yeah. this big thing versus all of a sudden like, okay, I've got all this money to invest. And you're like, oh, now yeah, what? Do you do? <laughs> yeah, totally. I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I would love to just transition, like as you were just talking about getting started, like what are some things that people could start doing today to start really like focusing on and start implementing this for themselves? Mm -hmm. And they'll probably think themselves later, like, what would you say that where should they start? Yes. So I think that first and foremost, especially as business owners, we need to have an emergency fund. So for most of us, depending on if we're married and what our spouse does and how many income sources we have within the family, it makes sense to have about either three to six months in emergency fund assets. And if you want to be on the safe side, have around six months. After that, you really want to start investing and it's okay to open up a brokerage account alongside a retirement account. So you can have two accounts and you can put in $50 in one, hundred in the other, if that's all you can do, right? Or maybe you can put in thousands right away. Everybody's situation is different, but again, start early and then figure out what's feasible for you to do right now consistently. So I think for a lot of us, we can say like, it's the new year this year, I'm going to save $20,000. And then, but when you break that down month to month, it's like, that's not, that might not be consistent for everybody. Like one month you might have more expenses or you might have a medical event or a car accident or something, things come up. So you want to figure out what you can do consistently. And that's called the pay yourself first strategy. So when that income comes into your account every single month, you're basically a bill to yourself. And you're a non-negotiable bill to yourself, like your mortgage. You can't just not pay your mortgage. So you can't not pay yourself. So immediately that money is going to go into whatever investment account that you've allocated it to go to or into a savings account if you're still building up your emergency fund. And then after that, you're going to take whatever income's left in your account. You're going to pay your bills. And then you're going to take whatever is left and you can either live off of that or if you've got a little bit more this month because you shot an extra wedding or whatever you did, you can choose to save that as well. But that way, you know that each and every month you have an, an amount that you're comfortable with and that you can consistently save. So that would be another prudent strategy. I would say like start now. And then last but not least, I would say don't fall into what we call lifestyle creep or lifestyle in inflation in the world of finance. And this falls, this goes for everybody, whether you're self-employed or you work for an employer. It's basically when you start to make more money. So let's say you've either got a raise or you booked 10 more weddings this year and you're making more money. And now you think that, okay, I used to make just for example, let's say I used to make $80,000 a year. Now I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. So now I can live off of a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like that's lifestyle inflation, lifestyle creep. What you want to do. And typically the rule of thumb is you want to reward yourself because you worked really hard and that's why you're making more money, but you want to take about half of that increase and you want to save that, right? And then only live off of the other half. So 
in this example, it would be, I would live off of $90,000 a year, and then I would increase my savings by another 10,000 a year, if that makes sense. Totally. I love that. And I think that's very evident in our culture that it's so easy to fall into yeah. that. It's like, oh, I just got this bonus. It's bonus money. I'm going to treat myself. Like, I think we have this, like, yeah, let's yes. just like celebrate in this. But when I think in the yeah. world of like the influencer, we always, we have these things that I get influenced all the time, <laughs> uh, but we really have to prioritize our financial goals. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is the spending. And I think just, yeah, I think even just like having that rule set up so that then when you do get that extra wedding or you do get those extra bonuses or bonus income, you already right. know like, okay, half of this isn't mine. Like you just have that rule set up. I love that. I think I'm adopting that today. Yeah. Like, so. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I just talked to somebody and she was telling me just like about the lifestyle that she was living and things like that, because they do have a lot of debt and whatever. And she's like, I feel like it's really boring and whatever. And I, I feel like I'm missing out or whatnot. And I was like, you know what, for my years in finance, I've talked to so, so many 40, 50 year olds who have very deep regret for not investing early and not saving early. And again, even if you can't do a lot and maybe you don't even have enough to open up an investment account, typically you need like at least a thousand dollars. Save $10 <laughs> in your savings. Start small and then work your way up as you continue to make more because it's the habit is something that takes some time to form. Totally. Oh, yeah. 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 And I think, yeah, compound interest, compound habits, like just start building these things. Don't feel like you have to listen to this episode. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do everything. Like, no, yeah, please yeah. <laughs> choose one thing, stick to it, figure out where you need to start and then just make a plan. I think that's great. One other thing that comes up with lifestyle inflation, and I think we've all heard the term keeping up with the Joneses, <laughs> but really it's just living within your means and not feeling like you need to look a certain way or look like you have a certain status or a certain amount of money. And we always used to joke about this at one of the firms that I worked at because we had a client who would come in in like an old coat and just when you looked at her, you would not think that she was wealthy and she actually had many millions of dollars. And so I think that with the world of influencing and what we're seeing online and what we're seeing on TikTok when we're mindlessly scrolling, it makes us want to spend and buy. And that's, that's these brand's marketing strategy, right? Like it's working, but we really need to dial it back and think about what it means to live within our means. And that way, hopefully down the road, we'll have a lot more savings. And that, that takes a lot of stress off of people. Like another term that we would talk about in financial planning is money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy a lot of freedom. And time freedom is the one thing that none of us can get back. And it's so valuable. And that's something that we need. But also like other things, like if you were to have a medical event and you were to be able to choose the care that you got because you had some extra funds for that, or, or you retired and you wanted to travel the world and you got to choose to do that because you saved for it. So it's really just talking about delayed gratification and knowing that what you're doing now is going to pay off in dividends down the road. Totally. I think that's so good. Man, this has been such a great conversation and I've really appreciated you just like coming on the show, really breaking this down for people. And no doubt this is going to change lives because there's people out there who are listening right now who aren't doing this and they're going to start doing it and they're going to thank themselves so, so much later just because they listened to this, they got their act together and they started <laughs> implementing some of these things. So thank you so much for those who are maybe wanting to learn more about this and like maybe have conversations with you. Where can they find you and what types of resources and guidance can you provide? Yes. So like I said, I'm a full-time photographer. My photography website is jennifercamphotography.com. Same with my Instagram, but I am actually starting my own podcast talking all about these things. And currently we just have a Instagram page that's 
just started like last week, but that's where a lot of resources will be posted. It's called from finance to photography, detailing a lot of my journey. We're also going to talk about a lot of motherhood things there. And then down the line, I am also going to be offering some consulting services to help people out with financial planning and just defining their goals and coming up with a strategy that works the best for them. I love it. I love it so much. And we'll link that in the show notes for anyone listening. But seriously, this has been so great. Thank you so much for your time today. And everyone listening, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Take Your Shot podcast. If you found this podcast helpful or insightful, we would absolutely be honored if you could take a moment to leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. If you have any friends who you think would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And lastly, we absolutely love connecting with you all on social media. You can find us using the links below in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week.